Hello, welcome to the Wounded Blue Hour with your host, Randy Sutton. I'm a retired police lieutenant, 34 years of police service with Princeton, New Jersey PD and the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. I am the founder of the Wounded Blue, the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers and the author of several books, including the one about to come out in a couple months, Rescuing 911, The Fight. For America's safety, you can sign up for an advanced copy right now at uh, rescuing911.org. This show is devoted to the law enforcement community, to their physical, emotional, spiritual health and well-being. And everything that we talk about on this show concerns law enforcement officers. Um, today, we're going to have a little bit different format. As you know, I usually have a guest, but there's so much that I want to talk about today that I just want to talk about with you. So we're going to, you're just going to have an hour of Randy. Is that okay? Well, I guess it better be, huh? So, okay, let's get right in, into, uh, into the topics today. Now, there, um, this part of the program, I usually do a reality check, which is, um, paying homage to those in the law enforcement world who have uh, lost their lives in the line of duty. But I'm happy to say that this week, there are no names for me to read, which is something that we can all rejoice for. But as part of the reality check, I'm going to read you um, a, uh, an article that came out from the Fraternal Order of Police. And I think it's, it says it all uh, when it comes down to uh, the physical dangers of being a law enforcement officer. And it's a startling, startling statistic uh, that, that just came out. I'll read it to you. This is from the National Fraternal Order of Police. And this is the update. Officers shot and killed in the line of duty. Up 20, up uh, during the first five months of, of this year, up 30% since 2021. All right, National Fraternal Order of Police regrets to report that as of midnight, 31 May 2023, there have been 166 officers shot in the line of duty so far in 2023. That's up 30% from 2021, up 40% from 2020. Now, of those officers shot, 20 of them were killed by gunfire, which is actually down a little bit. Uh, there have been 47. This is one of the most startling um, numbers of this report. And that is there have been 47 ambush-style attacks on law enforcement officers this year. These ambush-style attacks have resulted in 54 officers shot, nine of whom were killed by gunfire. For every every felonious assault on attack, uh, every felonious attack on a law enforcement officer, especially um, disturbing, regardless of the circumstances. But officers are always susceptible to life-threatening attacks, and therefore must always be vigilant and maintain the highest level of situational awareness in most cases. But officers are able to quickly assess situations recognize threats, and take adequate defensive actions. Tragically, not every uh, threat can be seen or mitigated. Perhaps most troubling and worrisome are the ambush-style attacks and other calculated attacks on law enforcement 
premeditated ambush-style attacks are particularly disturbing. These types of attacks are carried out with an element of surprise and intended to deprive officers of the ability to defend against the attack. Premeditated attacks contribute to worrisome desensitization, evil, evil excuse me, uh, worrisome desensitizing uh, to evil acts that were once largely considered taboo except by the most depraved individuals. So that that story that came out from the FOP, in essence, that's one of the reasons, it's one of the most um, important reasons that the Wounded Blue exists and why this podcast exists, to bring to light the dangers that are facing our law enforcement community. And that statistical number, 166 police officers shot in the line of duty, that's one every single day. And the number of officers who um, are being shot in, in, at more than one at a time, that is also climbing. In, in you know, more officers being shot in one single event, um, that we've seen a trend that's higher in that as well, which means that these individuals who are willing to shoot it out with the police are, um, are so convinced that they might either live through this and then f face no consequences, and they're willing to bet their lives on it. That's a really, really dangerous situation. And this is something that that when I talk about everything is happening to the law enforcement or within the law enforcement realm, then that includes many aspects that law enforcement doesn't control. Um, it, but it, it legitimately affects the lives of the law enforcement community. And we're going to talk about a bunch of that stuff in during the, the next uh, hour that we spend together. Now, the reality that faces many of the uh, uh, cities that are facing incredible out-of-control crime is that the people who are being victimized are the black community. And it's black-on-black crime, but you don't hear about it in the mainstream media because it's basically swept under the rug. They don't want to talk about that. But that's the reality. And the other side of this coin is that the people who live in these communities and are susceptible to the bullying and the criminal element that is literally running roughshod over the cities in America, mostly democratically controlled, um, they're crying out for help. They're asking for the police to police, and yet it's falling on deaf ears. There was just a, a story that came out of Baltimore. You know, Baltimore is an out-of-control city. Their crime is out of control. Um, they've, they've been through different police chiefs and police commissioners. Half of them have gone to prison. Uh, the, the, the district attorney that was there was an anti-law enforcement district attorney for years. She's going to prison. I mean, it, it is it is out of control. And they have basically handcuffed the police into not policing by the, by the, the, the statutes that have been put into place, by the, the state 
um, um, reducing the ability, the protections for law enforcement officers, and by the um, procedures and policies put into place by the police department itself. These officers are literally hogtied and not allowed to do proactive policing in in a, a manner that would be strategic and it would be a um, um, something that would be not just welcomed by the community, but would actually lower the violent crime rate. They're just not allowed to do it. And and what's what's really interesting is people from the community, people who are being victimized, are crying out. They're going to the meetings that the city council has and that the, the, the that the police have. And they're begging the police to come and take the dope dealers away, to to actually police, to make arrests, to do the things that that police officers are supposed to do to make the community safer. And yet, these 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 useless politicians who use race ideology as an excuse not to allow the police to police. Are, have abdicated their responsibilities to their communities. Now, there was a, a, I'm going to read you an article that I found fascinating about this very topic. It's written by, um, he's a friend of mine. Um, he's been a cop for a long, long time. He's a police commander uh, in, in, in Oklahoma. But he's also the principal of a, a fantastic um, law enforcement website, news website, called lawofficer.com. So I urge you to check out lawofficer.com. Travis Yates is his name. Not only is he as he been as he dedicated himself as a police officer for decades, but he's also dedicated himself to bringing the truth out about law enforcement through this website which has been in business for a long time, highly successful, great content, and he's also a presenter around the country on leadership, and I've seen him speak, and he's amazing. So I urge you to check out Travis Yates at lawofficer.com. And this is, this is an article that he wrote, and I just found it fascinating, and it, and it really touches on the subject that I just brought up to you. This is from Travis Yates. One of the largest issues with law enforcement today is leadership, and much of the problems the profession is facing stems from leaders not understanding what their mission is. The mission of law enforcement is not complicated, but with just about everyone everywhere making some demand, many law enforcement leaders have erred in not placing a primary focus on the sole mission, which is crime reduction. That's why I generally don't approve of mayors who hire police chiefs that take a, quote, community survey, unquote, to help them hire a chief. I understand why it's done. It feels good and looks good, but the hiring of any police chief will set the direction and tone of the agency, including the safety and security of the residents. And that kind of responsibility is too important to let some in the community dictate it. It's not that the community shouldn't have input, because they should, but what if those making demands in the community have no idea what the qualifications 
and the mission of the chief should be. If I got asked who should be the next CEO of Twitter, there's no way I would have the knowledge to give an adequate answer. And if you think a police department is a simple organization and that's a bad comparison, you haven't spent much time in a police department. But what do I know? Most citizens understand completely what the job of a police chief should be. Hardworking, law-abiding citizens want their police department to be like a referee. They know they are there and they don't pay much attention until they need them. Those same citizens completely understand that crime control is what law enforcement does. If they suspect a crime, they call the police. If they are a victim of a crime, they call the police. Citizens want to be safe, they want security, and that's the extent of what they expect from a police chief and their agency. It's not the citizens shouldn't have input because they don't know. My question is, which citizens are being asked? Are they the same citizens that yell racism every time the police actually fulfill their mission of stopping crime? Are they the same citizens that shout about, quote, defund the police, unquote, because it made them cool at a city council meeting? This alone is why police chiefs are off the mark when it comes to their mission. They've been pandering to citizens that don't see cops as referees, but as some social experiment to completely ruin communities. Now, this is the Louisville experiment. When I saw that Louisville Mayor Craig Greenberg surveyed the community on what they wanted in a new police chief, I was immediately suspicious. There may be no greater example of weakness and wokeness than the leaders in Louisville. If you disagree, I highly recommend uh, that you read some of the articles about Louisville and their leadership. It would take an entire book to cover the sh their shenanigans. And Sergeant John Mattingly, who was the officer in the Breonna Taylor shooting, wrote a great one. I urge you to check out John Mattingly's book. But there is a reason why Louisville is one of the most dangerous cities in America. And it's because the leaders, both within and outside their police department, have long forgotten the mission. He says, but I was wrong. In what must have been a moment of confusion, <laughs> Mayor Greenberg actually endorsed a community survey to the actual community and not the crazy, insane mob that has taken what was once a great city to a third world country. In a survey conducted by Public Sector Search and Consulting, which has been working with Louisville on the search and selection of the next permanent chief of police, 1,214 residents responded to a series of questions and the results only support what I've been teaching and saying for years, that citizens want to be safe. The survey results, this is really fascinating. 72% of the respondents want a chief with a track record of reducing crime and promoting community safety. 76% want a leader that has integrity and 60% want a chief with a track record of recruitment and retention. 65% said that crime reduction should be the top priority and curbing gun violence came in a close second. Now what is telling in the survey is what the lowest priorities are and that should make every leader in Louisville run to the retirement home after what they have put the police department and their citizens through in recent years. 
And this was um, on the, the lowest levels, right? The lowest levels of, uh, of the respondents. This is what they didn't care about. Integrating police response with social service professionals for persons experiencing mental health. Culture change within the department. Community policing and problem solving. Implementing police reform in response to the Department of Justice investigation. Traffic safety and enforcement. Working on homeless issues. Innovative and progressive policing policies. And uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and police bias Consent decree implementation and progressive policing policies were only mentioned because they were placed on the survey, but the results have to be depressing for the city leaders. Each of these categories came at the bottom of the priority list, with progressive policing policies rounding out the bottom at a whooping 15% from the citizens. A message to residents. Citizens everywhere understand the priorities of law enforcement, and they equally understand that they have been abandoned by an ideology that is creating one of the most dangerous environments that America has ever seen. It's time the citizens take back control of their city government and ensure that elected officials are held accountable for abandoning the mission of law enforcement for an agenda that few subscribe to. The work by Paula Fitzsimmons is commendable. She is just one example of the influence that one citizen can have in their community. The survey, this survey is a microcosm of every community. And it's not as if diversity, implicit bias, et cetera, are not important, but it is not the most important when it comes to citizens wanting to survive and thrive in the communities that they live in. So um, Dr. Travis Yates, commander with large municipal police department, author of Courageous Police Leadership, a survival guide for combating cowards, chaos, and lies. And uh, I urge you to check him out at the uh, Courageous Police Leadership Alliance. Um, brilliant stuff. And, and you know, when you, when you think about it, it, it really isn't rocket science. We know what works. The police departments know what works. But they have been cowed into submission to the woke policies of politicians who pander to the, 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 the left in ways that is, that is literally taking people's lives. So let's talk about some other things that are taking place within the law enforcement world. And you'll see that everything always seems to come around and be involved in the discussions like Travis Yates just put out there that I talked about with the number of, of felonious police assaults. By the way, I didn't, I didn't mention, that, as we talked about in that first piece, 166 police officers being shot um, and the line of duty deaths. But what I didn't say was, was the startling number of physical attacks on law enforcement officers. That means shootings, stabbings, beatings, being hit with objects, being kicked, being punched, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But last year, more than 60,000 American police officers were physically assaulted in the line of duty. Once you think about that number, how astounding it is. 60,000. And many of those officers 
lives will never be the same. You know, those statistics, 166 officers shot, it doesn't tell the story. And, you know, being, being the chairman of the board and the founder of the Wounded Blue, it is, it is this, the, what, what, what is, lies beneath those statistics that is so important because each one of those represents a life, represents a police officer who is sacrificed. Once you are shot in the line of duty, the chances of you coming back to active duty are minimal, both for the physical reasons that they have been, um, that they've been so medically challenged from the damage done by the shooting, but also the psychological damage done by the shooting as well. Now, um, and law enforcement has a incredible rate of post-traumatic stress injury. And you notice I said post-traumatic stress injury, not post-traumatic stress disorder, because not every injury becomes a disorder. And that's a topic we're, we talk about a lot at the Wounded Blue. But the reality is that once you have become injured, um, there's a lot that takes place both physically and emotionally and psychologically. And each one of those lives has a story. Almost every single one of them has a family. And when that officer has been seriously injured in the line of duty, it doesn't don't just affect him. It affects all of those around him. In fact, it affects the entire law enforcement family as well. And I, I, when I talk about the law enforcement family, I'm talking about pretty dysfunctional family, if, if the truth be known. You know, we all talk the good game about, about Thin Blue Line, but it's, it's a, there's a lot of fractures in the Thin Blue Line. And that's, if you can read my t-shirt, it says, never forgotten, never alone. That's the motto of the Wounded Blue, because we understand what it feels like to be forgotten, to be abandoned once you're injured in the line of duty. So if you're a law enforcement officer and you're watching this program, you're listening to it, if you're struggling, I want you to reach out to the Wounded Blue because that's the sole reason that we exist. And I'll talk to more about the Wounded Blue um, later on in this broadcast. So um, I want to tell you a um, about an article I read that uh, – now, I, this will tell you what a sick mind I have sometimes, but I smiled when I read it. Deputy ends gunman's attack by hitting him with patrol car. This is in Muncie, Indiana. This is from the Police Tribune. A violent attack on a Delaware County Sheriff's deputy was brought to an abrupt end on Friday night when a sergeant slammed into the gunman with his patrol vehicle. The incident began at approximately 7.45 p.m. on June 23rd as deputies with the Delaware County Sheriff's Office were searching for 19-year-old Taryn Conwell. In addition to having active warrants out of Madison County, Conwell was also wanted for questioning in conjunction in connection with another case. The Indiana State Police said deputies were looking for the suspect when they spotted him leaving a residence and moved in to apprehend him. Conwell allegedly took off running, then pulled out a 9mm handgun and fired at the officers. Um, Deputy Carter Smithson, who was outside of his vehicle, returned fire. 
when uh, the when uh, Deputy Sergeant Tim Mitchell saw the suspect shooting at his fellow deputy, he quote, "I love the way the police give a statement." Quote, utilize his department issue police vehicle to stop the deadly and aggressive actions of Conwell and to protect the other officer on foot, unquote. Police speak for he hit the son of a bitch. Investigators said Mitchell's patrol vehicle was also hit by Conwell's fire during the incident. The later released photos showing bullet holes in the hood and driver's side uh, rearview mirror of the patrol unit. Sergeant Mitchell and Deputy Smithson both escaped the incident without injury. Conwell was injured as a result of being hit by the patrol car, I should hope so, and was treated at the scene before being transported to Memorial Hospital. He was subsequently transferred to another hospital. It's unclear what injuries he sustained. He will be facing numerous charges as a result. So, why did I put a smile on my face? The bad guy got exactly what was coming to him. And who doesn't like a happy ending? Bad guy zero, police one. And uh, that's the way it should be. So we're going to take a quick break. And uh, I'll be back with you in just a minute. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code out loud at cofixrx.com. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. 
are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative think. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said, Keep your face always toward the sunshine, and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. One Nation Coffee. One Nation Coffee. Patriotic, uh, veteran-owned, very, very good coffee. I actually went down and visited their roasting facility and met with the folks down there, uh, John and his crew, and they are amazing people. The coffee is delicious. You order it online. They bring it right to your house. You can get the ground coffee. You can get beans. I like to grind my own. They've got uh, also got these, uh, you know, the the containers that you put in your Keurig or whatever that thing is called. So um, One Nation Coffee. Go to OneNationCoffee.com. Order your coffee, and uh, you'll get great coffee, and you'll be supporting uh, a patriotic company that supports the wounded blue. So uh, go to OneNationCoffee.com. Well, there's another company I'd like to talk to you about. And only companies that have a record of of doing good for law enforcement um, are allowed to advertise on this on this um, show. Uh, and if you have one of those companies, reach out to me, Randy at thewoundedblue.org, if you want to support this program, Randy at thewoundedblue.org. But I want to tell you about officerprivacy.com. When I was first approached by Pete, the owner of this company, who is a retired uh, police lieutenant from a California department, he told me, that I was in danger. And I, I said, what do you mean? He says, there is so much information about you on the internet. I can find out right where you live from what's on the internet. And I said, you gotta be kidding me. And he said, nope. And he says, oh, my company does something about that. And I said, tell me more. So what officerprivacy.com does is they have an incredible team of all former police officers. He doesn't hire anybody that's not a former police officer to actually go into the internet and physically scrub your personal information from the internet. Now there were, there were so many references to my residence that I was shocked and vehicles. I mean, what the information is out there is, is incredible. So I wanted that gone and it, it, and his, his prices are so inexpensive. It's amazing. But for the, for the protection of what officerprivacy.com um, offers, I urge you to go to officerprivacy.com and check it out. See what they do. See who they are. Everyone that I've talked to that I have referred to officerprivacy.com has contacted me and said, thank you for doing that. These are great people. They're doing a great service. And you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your family. Officerprivacy.com. All right, why we're talking about 
um, threats to law enforcement officers. Once again, I want to talk about the Wounded Blue. And the Wounded Blue is the reason that this program exists, because our mission is to improve the lives of injured and disabled officers through support, education, assistance, and legislation. And this show is part of that education. I bring this information to you so you are aware and you, you understand the issues that are going on. Um, we do many other things, and I, I want to tell you about the people I am so proud of, and that is the peer advocate support team of the Wounded Blue. This amazing cadre of all former or active police officers, may, some are retired because of the, their, their um, life-changing injuries, some are still current, and then we have spousal support as well, but these men and women are so incredibly devoted that they want to continue to serve despite many of their really debilitating injuries. And they do that by being a peer advocate support team member. What does that mean? Well, when I created the Wounded Blue, it was, it was as a response to the incredibly heartbreaking messages that I was receiving from police officers across the nation. Randy, I know you don't know me, but I was shot in the line of duty and my chief never came to visit me in the hospital. They're not paying my medical bills. No one's even visited me. Randy, I was hit by a car. They're not paying my medical bills. They've abandoned me. I mean, I'm not talking one or two. I'm talking one, two, then six, then 12. And not because I had any, I could do anything about it, but simply because I was visible in the law enforcement community from being, you know, the most featured officer on the TV show Cops, from being in the movies, like movies like Casino, from writing books, from being a police trainer. I trained thousands of police officers across the nation. So only because of my visibility that these officers started reaching out. And I realized this is a national issue. And there is, I, I looked, I said, there has to be a national resource. Like, if you get killed in the line of duty as a police officer, there's an amazing organization called COPS, Concerns of Police Survivors, that will walk that journey with you for as long as you need, even through the generations. Well, we modeled ourselves after Concerns of Police Survivors. In fact, it was with, without their help, I don't think I could have created this organization, but um, Diane, who's the executive director over at COPS, um, was so giving and so uh, sharing of information, and today we work very, very closely together. But the Wounded Blue exists for injured and disabled officers, whether those injuries are physical or emotional and psychological. Now, I've mentioned the peer team. What the peer team does is brings to life never forgotten, never alone. Because sometimes all our officers need is to know that they're not walking the journey by themselves. That, that they're not alone and that, you know, it's a, it, when you get severely injured in the line of duty, when you get, you know, even moderately injured in the line of duty, it's a very alone feeling, especially when your own department turns its back on you as is being done across the nation in many, many jurisdictions. So the peer team reaches out or someone will reach out to us and say, you know what, I'm really struggling and they will become their go-to person to know that, hey, listen, I walk this path too. Here's my journey. 
Let's help you on your journey. We have amazing resources, amazing resources, as far as getting people into treatment for recovery from both um, uh, addictions, which seem to go hand in hand with post-traumatic stress injury and physical injury, and um, also um, getting culturally competent psychologists to help. And, you know, it, every, every, but everyone's journey is different. But by having a knowledgeable resource that walks alongside you can mean the difference between life and death. And that is not an exaggeration. I can't tell you the number of police officers who have contacted me personally and said, Randy, if it wasn't for the wounded blue, I would have killed myself. Now, it doesn't get any more dramatic than that. It doesn't get any more real than that. So um, the Wounded Blue is accomplishing amazing work and saving lives. But they need your help. First of all, if you're an officer who's struggling, reach out to us and just go to the website, thewoundedblue.org, and hit that contact button. Or there's a phone number on there that's a 24-hour number, too. You can just call that. And by the way, 80% of the people that we work with have been referred to us by someone else that we have worked with. It's their partners and their friends. And you, you, you can't get a better accolade than that. If, if it worked for me, maybe it'll work for you. So if you're struggling, please reach out. Now, if you are someone who supports law enforcement, you wouldn't be watching this program or listening to this if you didn't, but I need something from you. I am asking you, this is Randy to you. I want you to go to our website, thewoundedblue.org. I want you to go to that donate button. And I want you to give at least $10 a month to the Wounded Blue. It's not even coffee money. $10 a month. If enough people do that, we won't be struggling to, to put money in the coffers to help these men and women. So I'm asking you, don't pass go, do not collect $200. Go to thewoundedblue.org, hit that donate button, give what you can afford on a monthly basis because that recurring donation is the difference that, that, that can literally save a life. So I'm asking you that, Randy, to you. Now, there's a bunch of other stuff I want to talk about. You know, we talk about things that affect the law enforcement community, individual officers. I want to talk about the, the latest madness in Ann Arbor, Michigan. This just came out yesterday. Ann Arbor to pass ordinance restricting police from traffic stops for, quote, minor offenses, unquote. The city of Ann Arbor, um, this comes from Fox 2 in Detroit, by the way. The city of Ann Arbor is making moves to prevent racial profiling. There it is again. It always comes down to racial issues. Making moves to prevent racial profiling during traffic stops and is working to have a first-of-its-kind ordinance. It would restrict police officers' ability to pull over drivers for minor offenses. It's called the Driving Equality Ordinance. I love the names that they put on this garbage. It makes it actually sound like it's legitimate. Its backers say it would be the first one in Michigan and has received a tidal wave 
of ringing endorsements from the community. Well, of course it has. If you don't hold anybody accountable for traffic violations, of course they're going to, yeah, oh, hell yeah, right? Here's one of the, here's from a citizen. The antiquated processes by which police are allowed to stop motorists do not keep us safer, said one resident at a recent council meeting. I'm asking for racial justice. I'm asking for the economic justice. I ask you all to support this ordinance, said another resident. This week, the ordinance unanimously passed its first reading and is widely expected to be adopted in July. The police department sent out a memo about the changes already. And Councilwoman Cynthia Harrison sponsored the ordinance. And the goal is, quote, to limit unnecessary contact between law enforcement and civilians, she says. If a traffic stop is based solely on certain offenses, the Ann Arbor Police Department will no longer make them. Here are some examples. Cracked or chipped windshield, loud exhaust, tinted windows, objects hanging from the mirror, cracked, broken, or burned out taillight where at least one, li where at least one light works, etc., etc. And she says we're talking about equipment violations that are not based around safety. Well, I got news for you. Um, we need to acknowledge the harm done to people like me as a result of a traffic stop. So this is really, I, I mean, this has been done in other communities. For instance, Berkeley was like one of the first to do it, of course. And, and the whole idea here is not to allow the police to interact with the people that they serve. Now, I must have stopped a thousand cars. Oh, no, 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 no. 2,000, 3,000 vehicles for these minor offenses. And you know why they were positive? Because they were informational. I didn't write tickets for, for these, but it got me to interact with people I wouldn't normally interact with and then say, you know what? Get, let's get this fixed. Here's some people that they can help. There's resources out there. And we made it a positive interaction. And what, what they're doing here is they are, they are taking away the ability for the police to, A, enforce traffic laws that are on the books. Basically, you're saying, so, okay, I'm, I'm a councilman. I'm now saying, I don't want you to, I don't want my police to actually enforce laws, and I'm going to pick the laws that they should and should not enforce. It doesn't work like that. I wish someone in the police department would have the guts to take this to court because I believe this is blatantly illegal. You can't tell a law enforcement officer they can't enforce a law that is on the books. But they're doing it anyway, because in this new age of ideological insanity against law enforcement, against consequences for criminality, against public safety, this is the drip down effect of that. And it all comes down to no consequences. And the, the movement by um, leftist politicians to remove those consequences 
and and literally dismantle the criminal justice system from within. Now, what am I? Do, do I sound like a conspiracy theorist? Well, there, it's not, this isn't a theory. This is actuality. The George Soros machine has been highly effective in this strategy, and some of their most effectiveness has been by pumping millions and millions of dollars into the campaigns of like-minded politicians, including, and most effectively, district attorneys and prosecutors at the county levels. As of last count, there were more than 60 George Soros-funded district attorneys and prosecutors in power throughout this nation. These aren't people that are that are devoted to the criminal justice system and to make the streets safer for you and I and your families. No, their stated objective is to dismantle the criminal justice system, to uh, tear it from the inside out. How do you do that? Well, you don't enforce the laws. You know, one of the things that, that I, I find would be funny if it wasn't so sad is the, the city of Chicago. City of Chicago um, has a mayor that they just elected, which is mind-boggling to me, that is a, a sincere believer in, in the cult of anti-public safety and got, and got elected on that platform in a city that sees multiple shootings every single day, that has a death rate, for, for especially for young black people, that is beyond comprehension. And yet they elect somebody that they know is going to continue the cycle of anti-public safety, of anti-law enforcement, of, of, of trying to inf uh, input social workers where cops should be. And as a result, they see multiple shootings. And here's the, here's the, 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 the tragedy here. Illinois has some of the most archaic, um, incredibly tough gun laws on the books. But they don't enforce them. They don't enforce them against the people that are actually using the guns and the people that are actually engaging in the criminal activity. No, because that would go against their ideology. They're letting... The criminals have their way, and there's no consequences for them, and they know it. And so they are empowered. They are empowered to rob and steal and, and, and uh, um, go into stores and, and literally steal everything off the shelves right in front of their security. They're empowered to do it by the leftist politicians who are running the show in democratically-led cities. That's the reality. And until people wake up, and this is the whole point of my new book that's coming out, Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety, because it's a call to action. If the citizens do not unite and do not become activists themselves, activists for the good of their communities, all will be lost in these communities. And they will continue to... to circle the drain into the cesspool of criminality and the loss of life. 
Let me let me let me uh, make an example of uh, of just that. Uh, where is it? Oh. So as a result of all this insanity, what's what is happening in policing? Well, one of the things happening in policing is the cops are quitting in droves all throughout America. And then there are so few police recruits because who the hell wants the job now? Right? You can you can literally go to work. You can save your own life by having to kill a suspect who's trying to kill you or someone else, and then you can go to prison for it because of these leftist political appointees or electees that are sitting in judgment of you in the in the district attorney's office or prosecutor's office. It's happening. It's happening. And 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 the the cops are watching and they're seeing it and they're seeing this degradation of the of the one of the most noble jobs in America that of being a police officer. And what are the real world consequences of this? I'm going to read this. This just came out. This is from the Police Tribune. Dallas police won't take non-emergency phone calls anymore. Think of the gravity of this. Dallas police department's previously optional online reporting system will soon become mandatory for the reporting of non-emergency incidents. Under the new policy, which goes into effect July 3rd, members of the public will no longer be able to place calls to the Dallas police dispatcher for non-emergency. Now, here's the non-emergency. Burglary. Your house was just burglarized. Non-emergency. Don't worry about it. Minor traffic collisions. Shoplifting. Do you know how many shopliftings have become robberies, have led to the deaths of people? Child custody interference. By the way, that's a felony crime in most states. Or identity theft. Oh, don't worry about the identity theft that just stole, you know, your entire life savings from your account. We're not responding to that. It is unbelievable. And why? Why, why is Dallas PD, which is a good agency... And from what I understand, the chief is, is, is a solid, solid chief. Why are they making this decision? It's because there are 500 police officers down. 500 officers down. They have, they have now to prioritize to the point where they're not being responsive to the people of Dallas. And, he, and, and so let me tell you what the reality, what, what something like this means. I look at San Francisco as an example, a completely out of control city whose crime is, is beyond belief. There's filth, homelessness, drug dealing, outright prostitution out all over the streets, which, of course, has created an economic, um, an economic abyss for the city, all because of criminality and crime, what they have done. So what the, what in, in essence, if the if. And also, by the way, the, the state legislature of California, which basically decriminalized everything, made everything a misdemeanor, like burglarizing your car. Well, that's, that's a misdemeanor crime. Don't worry about it. Well, what's happening is so people will no longer even report crimes. If the police aren't going to do anything about it, why should I go through the effort of even reporting it? And and here's, here's the reality of that statement. So the police, the, the, the people... In California and a lot of these major cities are just throwing up their hands going, cops are, are powerless. They're not going to do anything to help me anyway. 
So it undermines their respect level for the police. It undermines their, um, their, their belief that the police are actually there to help. And then they don't even bother reporting. Well, you know what that does? That skews the statistics. And that helps the political left because they say, look, you know, the crime is down. No, the crime isn't down. The crime is more rampant than it ever was. But people aren't bothering to report it because they know the police aren't going to do anything. There's no consequences for these people, There's for the people committing these crimes. They can do so on an unlimited basis and not face the consequences. That's the realities of what are happening across America. And in San Francisco, at least the, the people there rose up a, a little and recalled their, their last goofy district attorney, Chesa Bowden, who was a, an avowed communist, socialist, excuse me, socialist, I don't know what the difference is, who believed in prosecuting no one. Both of his parents were convicted murderers. And they voted him out. And that took a huge amount of effort. Um, this is what needs to be done. We need to become activists within our own communities. And of course, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough, tough call to arms. People have busy lives. And yet, if, if we don't do it, we're going to continue to see this incredible decline in our, in our country. People are getting less safe and less safe. And then when they're forced to protect themselves, such as the incident in New York, two incidents on the subways where people who defended themselves and others are now in, in jail facing a prison term for protecting others. People have to become almost vigilantes, although I don't like that word, but they are being forced to take action to defend themselves because the city of New York has failed them. The law enforcement community has failed them, not because of anything that the, that the law enforcement community wants, but because of what's being foisted upon them by the people who run the cities. New York City being a perfect example. Alvin Bragg's an incompetent. I mean, I realize he was a police officer. He had a terrible reputation as a cop. So I, I've been watching him, and he's absolutely ineffective. Absolutely ineffective. And we're seeing the degradation of the NYPD and other cities. For instance, you know, I was talking about how nobody wants to be a cop, right? When I took the police test in Las Vegas, 5,000 people showed up. 5,000 people showed up. They cut it off at 5,000. Now, if we get 12, 1,500, we're, we're lucky. So few people are showing up that the NYPD and the LAPD both dropped their physical fitness standards. This was recent. They dropped their physical fitness standards. What other standards did they drop? I can tell you they did that too. Why? To fill uniforms. And this is highly dangerous. This is dangerous because when you are so desperate to fill a uniform, you're going to put people in there that don't belong. They shouldn't be cops. And what that does, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You hire people who shouldn't wear the uniform, and then when they do what you know they're going to do, and they, and they defile that uniform, and they commit acts of misconduct or corruption, 
that then again reflects upon the rest of the law enforcement community. Do you see the spiral that I'm talking about here? But the city, the city's leaderships in in New York and in LA, they they're not they can't figure it out. They're so busy in their wokeness. They're so busy in in pandering to to their political base that they are literally throwing their public safety away. So that's the show for today. Um, I'm asking you once again, go to thewoundedblue.org. You know, I truly believe this, that most men and women in America truly support their law enforcement community. I, I, see, it every, I see it every day. I get messages every day, Randy. I support our police, but I don't know how to show it. Well, I can tell you right now how to show it. Show it by becoming a donor to The Wounded Blue. We're about to start our newsletter. You'll get information about The Wounded Blue on occasion. You'll hear about the great work we're doing. And you can play a role in that great work. You can play a role in possibly saving the life of a police officer. It's that dramatic. It's that real. By simply hitting that donate button and giving what you can, I'm asking you to do at least $10 a month. If you can do more, do that. But be a hero to those heroes. They need it, and they deserve it. This is Randy Sutton for The Wounded Blue. Uh, I wish you safety, happiness, and peace. And we'll see you again next week right here at The Wounded Blue Hour. <laughs>